this is the season whenever the political signs crop up, seen a bunch of yours. And the first question, of course, that I think anybody might have is all your signs, of course, say Ralph Boomer Bloodworth. And so tell us the story of the nickname Boomer Bloodworth. You know, I, I, I wish there was a good story behind it. It's a name that pretty much has just stuck with me since birth. And that's what folks have known me as. Uh, as uh, pretty much my entire life as Boomer Bloodworth. Uh, you know, I am technically Ralph Randall Bloodworth, and uh, that name's a little long to say, and I, I, I suspect I'm loud somewhat, people tell me, and I have a courtroom <laughs> voice, they tell me, and I think just from the beginning that uh, Boomer kind of fit and stuck, and so uh, throughout grade school, high school, and, and thereafter, I've always been known as Boomer, uh, even in private practice when I was a, an attorney practicing locally here. It was a uh, boomer and so it it just fits and uh it, it sticks and so yeah. that's who i'm known as is ralph or boomer bloodworth so well so that's the story behind the uh, nickname well let's uh, learn some more about you beyond the boomer part uh tell me about your educational work background anything you want to mention about your family sure sure uh, mayor i appreciate that first <clears throat> First, regarding those signs I, you just mentioned, it's been windy this fall, I've got to say. I've spent an ample <laughs> amount of time trying to drive around and uh, reattach signs. So it's Sign been, maintenance is a big part of campaigning. It's been an interesting last, uh, say, 20, 20 days with the winds blowing. But my background, uh, you know, basically is the following. I, I, I've been, uh, well, I've been married to my wife, Jill Womack, for 22 years. Uh, her family, she's grown up here in, in southern Illinois. And we have two teenagers that we are raising, and uh, and uh, always an interesting experience uh, uh, with teenagers and, and kids, as you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, every day is a new day, and, and so a lot of fun. But I practiced law in southern Illinois for 12 years uh, um, before becoming an associate judge. Uh, and I was appointed in 2012 by the other 14 resident circuit judges uh, in southern Illinois. We'll talk a little more about the difference in judges in sure. a second, I suspect. But appointed to replace Judge Dan Kimmel, who retired in 2012. Uh, selected by 14 judges to serve uh, at their pleasure and honor. Uh, I was reappointed at the end of his original term in 2015. As an associate, you're reappointed every four years. Those mm -hmm. are four-year terms uh, in 2015 and again in 2019. As an associate, we're up again next year in 2023 for retention. Uh, and so uh, I practiced in private practice uh, locally, uh, handling all types of cases, and including everything from speeding tickets to the most complex sort of product liability cases and things of that nature. In this area, you probably know and understand you do a little bit of everything and sure. sort of focus on, on certain areas of the law. but. I think what really benefited me is I traveled uh, the circuit a lot and appeared in front of all the judges locally at that time and argued motions, handled cases. And at that point in time, when uh, the spot came open, uh, and I applied, and I think that really assisted me having done things and appeared in front of those judges and gaining that experience over those 12 years in front of all of them. And I think that's uh, there were always a lot of candidates who apply uh, but that could have helped me in being selected. And sure. So, um, in my private practice, I handled cases over in Missouri. I was licensed in Missouri to practice law as well. Uh, so took the Illinois and Missouri bar exams both and handled cases uh, throughout Illinois and the um, 
Southern District of Illinois in the federal courts and Eastern District of Missouri as well. You know, you, you bring up the fact that you practice in Missouri, and it brings up a story I've told more times than I ought to have told it. But in Illinois, you do not, I don't think, have to have a license to practice law to represent yourself in small claims court, do you? Um, an individual can be a pro se litigant to represent themselves in, in pretty much any case if they choose to. Even criminal cases, we have folks who represent themselves and choose to. Mm-hmm. Uh, in small claims, you can do that as well. Yes. But is that different in Missouri than in Illinois, or do you recall? Um, I don't. I don't think it's different. I think you can do the same thing and represent yourself okay. uh, in cases over there as well. The, well, the, the, the reason I ask is uh, 10 years ago, my only experience ever in a courtroom, we were talking about the owner of this radio station, uh, Harold Lauder, previous owner, I should say. And um, there was a house that he owned, a rental home in Missouri, and the person wasn't paying the rent. And um, we took him to small claims curl, and he sent me down there to represent him. Um, and... I wasn't an attorney, and so uh, I was quite embarrassed when the judge asked me if I was, and I said I wasn't, and he told me to leave. <laughs> so that uh, was an experience that always uh, comes back to my mind when people talk about practicing in Missouri. That is, that's a different type of situation. Yeah. Yes, I can imagine the judge down there uh, had some things to say about yeah. that. So. It was in Bollinger <laughs> County, which is... Uh, quite rural so (laughs) in any case ralph boomer bloodworth is with us today so you mentioned not all judges are of course the same and i think voters are generally confused about judicial elections because of the fact that the campaigns are different you have retention um elections you have uh, elections to uh posts such as what you're seeking. So what is the post you're seeking? The post I'm seeking is uh, Judge Grace retired here in Jackson County, and it would be considered and called uh, Resident Circuit Judge of Jackson County. That is the uh, office that I am running for at this point in time. And if you want me to talk about the differences a little bit sure. and, and, and how things are organized, it is confusing uh, it, and it, it's sometimes difficult to explain. And uh, we are in what's called the first judicial circuit, and that's made up of the southern nine counties. Each county has at least one resident circuit judge, and those folks are elected by the people of that county only. Some of the more populated ones, such as Williamson and Jackson, have uh, two uh, resident circuit judges. Uh, And so the total judges in the southern nine counties are 21, 14 are residents, uh, and seven are associates. Uh, there are some, well, like Judge Bost, he is running for a, a circuit judge position. That's a full circuit judge. They're elected in all of the nine counties. Right. You're being voted by just those uh, residents, voters of Jackson County. Correct. Yes, sir. And so the 14 appoint the seven associates, and that's what happened to me in 2012, again in 2015, and, and 2019. And so The associates uh, um, are assigned dockets by the resident circuit judges, and so uh, generally an associate gains experience starting off like I did. We start off usually on traffic or ordinance violations, then move after a few years. We rotate and change dockets, and uh, I move to, uh, um, well, at this point in time, I've handled every type of case in uh, the courthouse on each of the dockets, uh, at least some of them. Uh, I moved from there to a variety of cases from foreclosures, handled some small claims, some divorce docket cases, uh, 
everything from forcible entry, detainers, evictions, like mm-hmm. you were talking about, uh, and misdemeanor cases, tax cases, uh, and you rotate through all those dockets, gaining experience as you go. And now I'm on the criminal felony docket and have handled the misdemeanor docket as well and some civil cases. Again, you do a, um, a little bit of everything and a lot of one thing, and then we try to rotate every so often sure. to gain other experience. And that's the benefit of the associate. Uh, you gain that experience. And over 10 years, I've been there 10 years, hard to believe now. Yeah, time goes by quickly. It does. At the end of this year, it's hard to believe also, and to tell you sort of how things have changed, I will be the fourth longest serving judge in the circuit. So, wow. Um, of the 21, I'll be number four, I guess. And So retirements and other things, people have uh, turned over. Correct. Correct. They have. And so uh, that that's hard to believe as well that, uh, that at this point I will uh, have that much experience and be the fourth longest serving judge in the circuit. So. Judge Ralph Bloodworth is in the studio with us today. One more question before we take the first break. Um, sort of a broad question. Do you have a judicial philosophy? That's an interesting question. Uh, and yes, you've got to remember as, as a judge, uh, we are here to serve and help people. Uh, and everybody, when you say a judge, everybody probably thinks of criminal or big litigation cases. Sure. There are all types of cases, and you've got and, and the, the purpose of the court system is to find a way to help people, and that's my philosophy. No matter what it is, you remember this individual's coming before you. This is the most important thing affecting their lives at this point in time, and it's stressful. They have not probably been in this situation before, and you sense that. And you, as a judge, your temperament, you've got to be sensitive to those things, caring, understanding, patient. Uh, and so that's part of my philosophy. Uh, you've got to remember that these, I, I always say I'm here to help. How can I help you uh, figure out a solution here? Generally, now some cases you're not going in like that. Yeah. The vast majority of them, you're there to help folks try to find a solution. If they could do it on their own, they wouldn't be there. Something has happened to cause folks to come before you. Uh, and so uh, I try to be fair, just, of course, impartial. That's part of it. But understanding and then certain situations you got to be firm as well and remember that these folks like i said they they need help and or no but somebody would not be there and so you've got that's part of really what i've enjoyed about the job for the past 10 years is finding a way to help people peacefully resolve disputes sure and solutions to their problems and then of course criminal cases are a little different and and that's uh primarily what i handle now of course and uh, in those types of cases, whether it's an individual representing themselves, like you talked about, yeah. uh, and there's all, that's, that's part of the In the state of Illinois, there's a big push for access to justice and meaningful access to the courts, and a lot of folks are choosing to represent themselves, and so you've got to kind of be sensitive to that, and this person hasn't done this before, and, and, and you know, respect uh, respect that and their decision to do that, but also... Well, that must be a difficult line to walk because obviously you're a judge and you're a judge because you know the law and then you're working with someone who doesn't. And so finding a happy medium between accommodating a novice, in a sense, um, and then having to deal with the swing between, you know, you could one 30 minutes ago, you could be dealing with an attorney who's been in the courtroom for 29 years and then you're dealing with somebody who's representing himself and I'm, I'm sure that's happened and, and it does and it continues 
to happen more frequently across the dockets on all different types of cases and that that's where the experience come in yeah. comes in and that's where it's key because you're right uh, um, we've got to be careful we can't give legal advice as a judge and you got to be impartial uh, but you also have to kind of understand and sense that and that's where the experience comes in on how to deal with that one minute you're dealing with an attorney who's been there <coughs> practicing law much longer than I ever did or serving as a judge right you know, and and you're right in the next uh, next case might be that situation and so that's where the experience is key and how to handle those situations deal with those situations and and, and still without giving legal advice effectively administer justice guide you know the proceeding and administer justice correct and keep that case moving forward in a fair way to both sides right and, uh, and that's it everybody at the end of the day they want a fair shake in court know they're dealing with a, a fair situation uh, they might not always walk out of there happy, but that sometimes is, is the way a case is supposed to work out. But they should sense that they got a fair shake and sure. they're in court. So that's what's important to me. And judicial philosophy, I think it's that, being fair to both sides, listening to both sides, respectful, uh, you know, just, uh, but still firm when it's required. I read a news article some years ago that said that judges hand down more lenient sentences after lunch. <laughs> i don't expect you to comment on that necessarily but uh, somebody told me once i've got the right to remain silent we'll right. exercise the ability probably, on this a, one. probably be a good answer to that question <laughs> we'll take the uh, first break of the day and we'll be back with more right after this ralph bloodworth we've been talking about the uh, various judgeships and his judicial philosophy uh judge i think you wanted to touch on a little bit more about the the differences in the various positions i did uh the resident circuit judge <laughs> to explain a little bit more about the differences between that and an associate mm -hmm. the resident it's a leadership position and you're dealing with a lot of different offices also you're handling your own docket and assigning dockets assigning associates to dockets uh, the leadership being dealing with everything from the county board clerk's office sheriff's department uh, any issues that come up, judicial staff, courthouse problems that arise, coordination with DOC and things like that, bringing the inmates back for court purposes, and any issue arises. And so that's one of the things you're in charge of and dealing with, and, and it, 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 it is more of a leadership role. The associate, uh, you're assigned dockets. You're actually selected by the residents. So uh, the person who, who wins this office has a vote. Uh, next year on retention of all the seven associates in the circuit, along with the other 13 resident judges have a, in this, you know, a, a vote to retain. And if any openings come up, to appoint associate judges. So they're the ones who make those decisions. Uh, and the associate essentially is to gain that experience, handle those dockets. And the, and the resident, uh, you are in a leadership role in sure. leading the county forward. Uh, dealing with situations and so that's a big difference also and then I've been reappointed twice in 2015 2019 they do a judicial evaluations and that's uh, uh, important of all seven associates or whoever's uh, you're up for retention at the same time and you know my my judicial bar poll results have gone up from 94.8 percent in 2015 to 97.2 uh, in 2019, and this time for the candidates, they were at 100% uh, recommended for this spot, the resident circuit judge. And it's important to note that because the folks who vote in that are the ones who 
dealt with me or anybody in private practice. Many of them are. They're local attorneys in the in the circuit, and then also the folks who appear in court with uh, with all the judges and all the lawyers. And so uh, they give their opinions in those surveys. And so that's an important thing. Men and women vote in that uh, and give those uh, recommendations. And there's eight subcategories, everything from sensitivity to fairness, a whole variety of things. And again, the final one recommended 100% on that. But my lowest score was, and it's hard for me to sit here and talk about myself, yeah. but it's part of the nature of it running is. for office, and I'm learning that, is, is, you know, my lowest score was 98-something, and that was higher than anybody else's highest score mm-hmm. in that survey of the candidates running for any of the positions open in the circuit. Uh, and so that's a little bit about the differences. Uh, the resident is more of a leadership role uh, in leading the county, dealing with the courthouse, and with the experience. It's, it's not a learn-on-the-job position. That's part of when I first took office as an associate. The judges indicated, you know, we know you. You've been before us. You have the legal experience. We think you can learn to be a good judge in time. Uh, and we want you to be the associate and do that, learn, gain that experience, and then down the road, uh, you know, potentially a resident circuit judge. And so it's important to note that it's the resident is not a learn on the judge or on the job position. Uh, that's what the associates do and what they're for. And I have gained that over the last 10 years. And so I think that's important to note across all dockets. It's also important to note that legal experience is not judicial experience. And for the resident position and what that position entails and you go through, uh, it's that judicial experience that makes the difference. Uh, I, I, got the legal I, experience, too, but the judicial experience is key. And I, I think the answer that you just gave would be the answer to the question, how do you respond to your opponent who is essentially saying that if you vote for her that you still become a you you're still a judge and everybody wins i mean that's the message and you're saying that you have more experience than your opponent judicially correct if she wins she comes in as my boss essentially she has a vote next year to retain me or not uh next year i'm up again for retention uh and and that's it somebody with no judicial experience comes in in that leadership role uh, as the resident circuit judge uh, and I don't really know another job in a leadership fashion where that would be the ideal situation. And so I think that is the difference in how I respond to that. Technically, I would still be an associate at least for another year uh, to answer that question. Um, but who knows what happens at that point in time uh, on the vote next year, of course. Uh, but again, you need someone with that judicial experience and legal experience, which I also have. But uh, like I said, 10 years of judicial experience, the fourth longest serving judge in the circuit at the end of this year. Uh, The question is, who is the best candidate to lead the county and serve as the resident circuit judge going forward? And I think that judicial experience the last 10 years makes the difference. Uh, and is the difference. That's key. It's essential. You've got to have somebody, for a variety of reasons I'm sure we're going to get to in a second, but with the changes in the law, sure. such as the Safety Act, in the past 10 years, looking back, we've been through at least two bail reforms, a variety of law changes, COVID. I don't know how we didn't see that coming and how yeah, to deal with that. Right. Getting up and running. And, and so that experience and dealing with those out-of-court situations 
uh, and moving forward uh, as the resident circuit judge. Well, let, let, and let's talk about the, the Safety Act because obviously it has been the primary point of debate, not in just local elections, state elections, the governor's election. It's really taken all the air out of the room from many other subjects. So um, do you believe that the adoption of the Safety Act is going to change the way that you're going to have to do your job versus the way that you've been doing it as an associate judge or would change the way that you would do the job as resident judge? The answer, the short answer is yes. In some ways, it's going to change my job as a judge, whether an associate or resident. I think as all laws, there are some good intentions behind it, but to put it in place in an area such as ours outside of, say, Cook County or St. Clair, it's very difficult. We virtually, it's difficult to have the resources to implement this and follow the law. We're going to find a way to do it, and we have a plan in place to deal with it and comply. Um, the way it's going to change is uh, it seems that we're being asked to do a lot more with a lot less resources. Uh, and we'll talk specifics about the act in a second. Uh, for it, and I want to talk about how it's driven, for anything to get to the judge, and it's important that the public understands this, something has to happen to make it come before a judge. Uh, and so here, the state's attorney is the one who drives this. They have to file a petition to detain an individual now under this new law. That has to be filed or a judge never sees it. And so it never gets to the judge. The judge will never have an opportunity to make a determination uh, on whether somebody's detained or not without the state's attorney making that petition. Um, they will file those petitions. Uh, and so we have certain timelines then to have a hearing or an individual be released. Isn't it 24 or 48 hours? Essentially, it's 48 hours. There's certain very limited circumstances where uh, it can be extended, and there's a petition that has to be filed by the state's attorney and to do that. I don't, I don't, I'm going to interrupt here because no, I want to get, from your experience then, on a 48-hour wait time in Jackson County— is the caseload such that you're going to be able to, um, in a quality way, process these motions to detain in a way? Because here's what I think is going to happen. You're going to have somebody who gets arrested, who is sent to jail, and there isn't a motion filed in the appropriate time frame does that person who is arrested then have the ability to sue the state for a violation of their rights under the safety act whether or not they can sue it's a difficult question to answer yeah. as we sit here now uh, you know the way i always answered it in private practice folks can sue whether or not you're going to be successful right. is a different you can story. indict a ham sandwich type of thing yeah <laughs> correct right. so i guess the short answer folks can sue for a variety of things whether or not you win is a different story and I, I know it's kind of a convoluted question and maybe too far off in the weeds but really the nutshell of it is can jackson county process this law in your opinion the way that it's written with some of these timelines and deadlines that are set forth it will be difficult but uh on significant cases and yes is the short answer to your question okay the way in the past we've even had some 
it's not a full court hearing on Sundays or three-day weekends. The real problem you'll run into is if an incident happens on, um, say, a Friday night. Uh, technically, to comply, something's got to happen by that same time Sunday. Right. Uh, and if you're going to have a full court hearing, and this is where we talk about Cook County, they have court Saturdays, night, uh, virtually 24-7. Uh, in our areas, it's very difficult, but you'd have to have a court reporter, two lawyers, a pretrial hearing officer, security, the judge, and a clerk. So yeah. you're talking seven to nine folks to hold those hearings. Uh, again, there can be a petition filed that can be granted to extend it 24 more hours, essentially, mm-hmm. where you could have that hearing Monday. Uh, and that's in the past, we've always had what we call jail call on. Uh, to comply with a 48-hour time period. Okay. There's got to be more in-depth hearings now, and there's got to be a full report done. And we do have the pretrial officers that are being called uh, PTOs in place to do those background reports. It's still difficult with the time frame, uh, and that's one of the difficulties with laws maybe passed to address situations in other parts of the state and implementing them in, say, Alexander or Jackson County, the First Circuit, or wherever you may well, be. Illinois is not Rhode Island, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and we are a very different state culturally, geographically, et cetera, from one end to the other. And so uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it, uh, it rolls out. Before we take the, the second break, because we're quickly running through time is there anything else you want to say or comment about the the safety act in in general um or that people have asked you about uh, during the course of your campaign about it you know first it, it will and again it's getting back to we're asked to do more with less resources a judge is going to have to be available and a state's attorney on the and a public defender and other folks to do a lot of these hearings uh, three days a week now. So it's essentially adding another docket for judges uh, and all those players uh, in the courthouse. And so it is going to increase the workload uh, regarding those specific things. And a, and a judge is going to have to be dedicated to that docket along with a state's attorney and a public sure. defender and the other folks. Um, folks are concerned and we get those questions. Is everybody getting out of jail? Uh, the answer to that is if those petitions are filed, the judge's hands, they are tied a lot more on discretion on whether detain or release. The presumption is release, but there are certain factors that can be considered, uh, a whole variety of them, where someone can be detained. The key, that petition has to be filed to make that happen uh, and get it before that judge. Technically, could a state's attorney in XYZ County just decide that he's going to file a motion to detain everybody? You can't do a blanket motion uh, to do that. But you can conceivably, if you think you have the resources and time to file all those and have all those hearings as a state's attorney, uh, potentially one could file those. But uh, not all of them are going to be granted under the statute. Well, I just know how campaigns go. And I could see that happening uh, six months before an election in a, some rural county where a state's attorney does something like this. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out across the state. It is uh, 1238. We need to take another break, and we'll come back and continue our uh, conversation with uh, Judge Ralph Boomer Bloodworth right after this. Uh, do you have any endorsements that you want to sh- share? I know that uh, in judicial races, sometimes there aren't as many as you'd have in a legislative race. But 
Uh, that's true, and it, and we'll probably talk a little bit about the political stuff in a second. But I, I do have some endorsements, and, and and I think some important ones to note. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be from the Carbondale Police Department, the Jackson County Sheriff's Department, those unions, uh, Egyptian Building and Construction uh, Trades uh, has endorsed me. The local plumbers, pipe fitters have endorsed me, as well as uh, you know uh, the local labor organization as well uh, has given me their endorsement. For the police department, uh, again, getting back to what we talked about before a little bit in the sheriff's department, those folks appear in court, uh, and so do the folks with the other unions on whatever it might be, a contract, bill collection. And I think those endorsements are are because uh, of the way I conduct in court and handle matters, fair to both sides, including whether it's police officers, defendants, litigants, uh, whether they're seeking payment on a bill as a plumber or uh, you know, a union individual has a whatever, a divorce case. Mm-hmm. But I think it's how I've, uh, over the past 10 years with that experience, treated folks in court as a judge uh, in that judicial experience. And I, I believe that's why I have those endorsements uh, behind me. And, and and you're right, as a judge, they're strange races sometimes. Uh, a lot of folks, that's a question I get, uh, uh, whether I'm knocking on doors or talking to folks is, is why do judges have to pick a political party? Yeah. And that's a fair question because we're supposed to be fair, impartial, neutral. And to pick a party, you're, you know, I said earlier, folks, they want a fair shake when they come to court. They don't want a, you know, an umpire with a Cardinals jersey on under his uh, vest, uh, umpiring the Cubs card sure, game or sure. vice versa. And so it's important that you are able to, to have those scores to remain neutral. But, um, well, and it is odd because from state to state it varies, you know, whether or not judges are appointed by the legislature or whether they're elected. Um, and, you know, honestly, there's, of course, room for uh, conflicts of interest and corruption and whatever, no matter exactly how you do it. Um, and whether or not they run as nonpartisan or, or as partisan. But uh, as you mentioned, these races are partisan and um I think you sort of already answered my next question and your answer just now, but you're running as a Democrat. And beyond the campaign, does your party affiliation impact uh, the kind of judge you'll be? Um, it does not uh, in my mind or won't in the future as, as the resident circuit judge. Uh, and like I said, that, that's one question I got often. And even from my friends a lot of times, and I, I take it as a, you know, a compliment, I get asked, you know, what are you, a Republican or Democrat? I've known you for years and don't even know. Yeah. To me as a judge. Well, that is a compliment. It's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, You know, we're not, folks aren't, uh, they're supposed to know you're neutral as a judge when they walk into that courtroom. And even for my friends who've asked that or folks on the campaign trail, I take that as a compliment. So uh, beyond having to pick a party for purposes of running, uh, you know, it's not going to affect my job as the judge. Overall, the jury trials I've tried over the past 10 years, that's one of the questions I have to ask sure. each juror. Uh, will you follow the law as given in the instructions at the end of this case? And the answer, you know, yes or no. And then even if you don't agree with the law, will you follow the law? Uh, and so as judges, we've got to follow the law, apply the law to the facts, and decide the case in that way in a fair, neutral, impartial way. Uh, maintaining respect and dignity in the courtroom and administer justice effectively that way, no matter what the case is. 
Ralph Boomer Bloodworth is in the studio with us today. I get a text message in from one of my listeners who I know happens to be an attorney. I don't know. This may be a, uh, a whole other segment. But the question is, tell us about the Supreme Court restrictions on campaigning by judicial candidates. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's made things interesting as well. Uh, I don't know specifically everything that they may be talking about. But again, we can't take positions Everybody, that's a campaign question we get continuously. Sure. Roe v. Wade, where do you stand? The right. national political issues. Uh, and, and we simply cannot take a position on it. If you do, as a candidate, and that word gets out, uh, you know, the first thing that any attorney worth their salt's going to do, if I answer that, I'm for this or against that yeah. in that way, that attorney should probably get a recording of this and say, hey, that judge is not fair, neutral, and impartial. Right. Motion to... Uh, excuse that judge off the case. And so that having the experience to recognize that and not answer questions that we can't uh, and, and those restrictions is important uh, for that reason, again, because for the system to work, the litigants, whoever it is, whatever the case is, when they come into that room, they have to know and be assured and have faith that it's going to be fair. They may not like the outcome, but they should at least deep down feel that they got a fair shake. So those limitations, uh, you know, um, rulings are issued, but uh, to me, as a judicial, as a judge, that's the important thing, having the faith of the public, the other judges, and the folks before you that you've been fair, impartial, and neutral. So that's why we can't take positions on issues. Sure. So. Well, Judge, I appreciate your time today, and I thank you for coming over and being in the studio with me. Um, how can people connect with you online? Um. Well, again, it's it's difficult. I can't talk about individual cases, but they can certainly research me by just Googling my name. There's a website that'll pop up uh, regarding my uh, candidate for the resident circuit judge. Okay. Uh, and so they can certainly go to that and, and just... Uh, do you have a answer. Facebook page for the campaign? I or? do. Same thing. They can okay. access that uh, and, and look take a look at the information on that. And so... Um, but. Yes, that's the best way to get a hold of me and to research my qualifications for this position, resident circuit judge of Jackson County. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming over. Our guest today has been Judge Ralph Boomer Bloodworth. We'll take the last break of the day and then we'll wrap it up.